We're doing villains now, I'm Dracula. Villains. Dracula. Past the Golden Popcorn, an MTV Movie Award podcast where we look at the various films nominated for MTV Movie Awards in various categories and try and figure out who really should have won. I'm Kenny Sage, a foremost movie expert. And I'm Ben Gregg, a foremost villainy expert. And today we are looking at Best Villain 2003. How are you today, Ben? I am good. And for those following the mystery of would we have a guest on this episode, the answer is we don't. Check back in for 2007 if you want to hear more from him. Um, But we're here today to look at a couple movies, some movies we've talked before, and two two pretty big ones we haven't talked before. So how are you feeling about getting to talk about Spider-Man again? Oh man, I'm really excited. Um, so, so this week, um, I I had to do canoeing for four days, so I did not have as much time as I thought I would to like squeeze in like extra material. Um, I did get a chance to watch through like all of the movies again. Um, admittedly, so Gangs in New York, I did like skip around a bit for areas where I knew there wasn't like Daniel Day Lewis. Um, and parts that I kind of knew what happened that I didn't super love my first time around. Like, a lot of, like, I didn't super love the romance. I feel like I said that in the episode, though, considering yes. that was more the focus. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I did, I did procure a copy of, like, the original ring. Um, uh, uh, like the, with, like, and I think I also, like, I also got, like, a, um, like a subtitle file format that hopefully works with my my VCL uh like video watcher. Um didn't end up watching it uh because instead the two movies two extra movies I watched this week were uh Chippendale Rescue Rangers, which I watched in my bed because it was only an hour and a half long. Um and then I watched Superhero Movie. Um the sort of scary movie esque um very heavily Spider-Man 1-based parody. Because um, usually those movies are, like, pretty, like, all over the place in what they're parodying. But, like, Superhero Movie is co- almost a one-to-one, like, Spider-Man parody for 90% of its runtime. Well, great. Well, I'm glad we have... I mean, I also meant to watch, like, uh, the original Japanese version of Ring... And then also did not get a did not get around to it because I had to because I took on an extra shift yesterday on like a holiday and I had other kind of TV watching or movie watching priorities. But I'm glad that we watched that you watched superhero movie and we can add that in. <laughs> this also is and. We did take, yeah, if people are listening to me sound a bit rusty, we did take, like, a break off 
a little break off of recording schedule last week. So, since the last episode we recorded, which is next week's episode, uh, the MTV (laughs) Movie Award 2022 nominations were announced. Yeah, oh my gosh. Um, Oh, I I saved them on my phone. I remember a couple of them. Um, I think Spider-Man No Way Home made it on both the villain and the kiss list. Yeah, which probably is going to affect how we uh, co- cover it. I I think I pitched that we just do best kiss 2022. Um, oh yeah, because uh, also while well, this will come up, we're probably going to go on some kind of summer hiatus, but I pitched that we try and get that done during the summer, because I've seen most of the things, but yeah, Spider-Man No Way Home. Uh, got nominated in Best Kiss. So for those keeping score, Spider Spider-Man movies have got a Best Kiss. I've uh, been Spider-Man One, um, Amazing Spider-Man Two, and now the third Tom Holland Spider-Man. So yeah. <laughs> an Arats trilogy of kisses here. <laughs> yeah, I lo- I really do love that. Um, it's really nice. Uh, we do kind of also get a bit of a trilogy passing of the torch this week. Um, from Austin Powers to Spider-Man. Um, because yes. in the same way that we get Austin Powers nominated three times, also all of the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies get nominated as well. Um, I'm glad that we have this one week though where we get to, where it gets to be like an official pass torching from, from Austin Powers to Spider-Man. Yeah. And then another interesting thing too is, this is not going to be the only time we talk about Willem Dafoe, because he was nominated for Best Villain for his appearance in Spider-Man No Way Home. Oh man, I wonder who he played. <laughs> Why, he uh, played no. Sandman. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, like, uh, his... I guess we'll get into it a little more when we actually talk about it, but like, man, I was... Ah, his performance is so good in this, and in, also in like the the newer Spider Man. Um, like he just he, he picked he brings a pathos to it. But like, yeah, it's like it is like his performance in No Way Home like reminds me of I have this one friend um, that I played football with in high school that I never see. I never see this person. I see this person maybe once every five years. But every time I see him, we just pick up right where we left off. Like, he's, like, one of, like, my best friends. Um, and I feel like that's kind of, like, Willem Dafoe's performance in that, like, he didn't, he didn't lose anything at all. Like, he is, he's the, he is, he is the gobby we all, we all love. Yeah, I, I would agree that he's, like, really good in that. Though, of course, we're gonna have to wait to see if he's better than, say, Colin Farrell in The Batman. Um, Really funny, because he is not the main villain of the Batman. <laughs> no, he's also not the main villain of Daredevil, but arguably... He is the spice. Yeah, he is... I, I, on this rewatch, I definitely... I liked him more on this rewatch, and he also like was in it more. Um, definitely more than like the Penguin versus uh, the other characters in the Batman. Sure. Um, uh, yeah. Oh, did you watch the director's cut of Daredevil this time, or? I, I probably not. Um, Did he, was there a big subplot where he has to defend somebody? 
No, I did not get that big subplot where he has okay, to yeah. so defend somebody, you know. Would have maybe been a way to differentiate things, but it's cool. Like, it's great. But 2022, yeah, we will get back to, um, for now, the t- 2003 MTV Movie Awards were held on May 31st, 2003. They were hosted by American Pie's Sean William Scott and Justin Timberlake. Um, this is the show with the famous Matrix Reloaded spoof with Will Ferrell as the architect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which was included on the DVD. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And um, uh, this time around, we also have uh, two nominees in our best movie nominees as well, that being The Ring and Spider-Man. Um, uh, with the winner being Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, which is uh, one I have not seen. I, I guess one ring one wasn't enough. You needed a whole lord of them. You needed a whole lord of them, you know? I was saying, this is, this is drumline year. I have, There was that whole period in the late 90s, early 2000s, uh, where we just got like a bunch of like weird alternative stuff. Sports-esque movies? Um, oh man, I completely, I completely forgot about Drumline, but I'm, it, all the memories flooding back, uh, what a, what a strange concept. Yeah. This is also the year of best virtual performance, which might be a candidate for, like, the next time we need a one-off episode, which Golem beat out Scooby-Doo, Kangaroo Jack, Dobby, and oh. Yoda. <laughs> Also, wait, best trans at, at Atlantic performance. What is is that? Just like, uh, some, who does that mean? Well, based on the nominees, yeah, it is basically best best performance by someone from the United Kingdom. Um, oh, okay, that makes that's what I kind of thought, but like I was also like I also just didn't I don't know actors, so yeah, <laughs> I yeah, basically yeah from a from the across the Atlantic, you know, like. England, yeah, yeah. England, largely, and oh, Colin yeah. Farrell is. I want to say he's Irish, or he. I mean, he plays. Yeah, yeah Irish actor, so he is not pretending when he's Irish also, in Daredevil. Wait a minute, he won best trans uh, Atlantic performance for Phone Booth. What? Which? Yeah, but phone but phone booth it's, is next year. <laughs> that's I'm confused. Either someone didn't keep up with this very well, or that is so. What do you? When did I guess when did phone booth come out? Maybe it came out. This is a mystery. Like a, um, this is a mystery. Maybe it, was, it came out in 2002. Why did we talk about it in 2004? Wow, that's um, so weird. What a weird. Okay. No. Now, now I have to. Now I have on. to. The film was premiered at the 2002 Toronto International Film Festival and was originally going to be two, oh. theatrically released in November, but then there were sniper attacks. So, for, so in October, and it got delayed and opened April fourth, two thousand three. So in oh. theory, because the eligibility period for MTV Movie Awards is roughly somewhere between March and April. So maybe it was, like, close enough where for this category they cheated because they knew everyone loved Colin Farrell. 
Yeah. That's out. Yeah, because I was like, this is, I, it was either that or like, it was like, ed, the Wikipedia page is edited weird and he actually won it for Daredevil, but I doubt that. Um, <laughs> what a strange little MTV, that, that's, that's an MTV movie award little fun fact out there, I guess now, and that phone booth is the, is one of, I'm assuming, few like, multi-year nominated slash winning movies yeah this is uh yeah yeah this is a mystery um (laughs) wow the mystery of the transatlantic performance it's like sometimes this segment is just us like reading over like uh i mean i guess this also was reading over the wikipedia page but you don't always yeah. stumble on a mystery. Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm, I'm glad we have this little unofficial Wikipedia segment because I always feel like I learned something a little new. Yeah. Um. Oh, also, best transatlantic performance was maybe unaired, but it was presented by David and Victoria Beckham. Mm. Oh, a weird. plot thickens. Um. <laughs> also, best villain was presented by Ashton Kutcher and P. Diddy. Oh. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, so this is mysterious, and I'm about to go figure out what Sean Combs was doing in <laughs> cinema. But, um. Okay, filmography. Hmm. Yeah, maybe it was just like there for something else, because, like, it says filmography says he was in Monsters Ball in 2001, and his next film credit is like 2005? Hmm. Hmm mysterious um anyways we're going to leave all this mystery behind for now yeah we'll talk about oh i mean yeah that's a weird like this um and yeah so for best villain 2003 the nominees are just realizing i forgot to look out i'll say the winner's name it is fine william defoe spider-man daniel day lewis gangs of new york Colin Farrell, Daredevil, Mike Myers, Austin Power and Gold member, and the winner, Davie Chase in The Ring. I made a judgment call. I feel that's right. Um, yeah. So yeah. The Ring is great. Oh man, I disagree. I couldn't get into it. Um, man. Oh, what a oh, man. I I'm glad you liked it. Um. Because I super, I super didn't like it, but it might just be like a genre thing. Um, I like all of the parts where it's like showing like the creepy actual video. Um, I just feel like it's a movie where not a lot, not enough weird stuff happens. Um, I don't know. I guess I guess you really loved it, so I, I do want to hear your your thoughts on this first. Yeah. So the so the ring, obviously, as we discussed, based on a Japanese film. Um, I had never seen this when I when I was a kid. I did not watch a lot of horror films. Just partly like semi sheltered upbringing, not not fully. But then when I was getting to an age where like, a lot of people were maybe getting into scary movies. I was like, eh, I don't know. Seems a little scary. But 
but then when I, when I was in seventh grade, and I'm trying to remember if there is a lot, because there was this brief moment where the two big hot movies, the people, the ones that all the kids were like, oh yeah, this is like the scariest ones, were this film, and then another remake of a Japanese movie, uh, The Grudge. So, yeah, this film I, I kind always... Of, Oh, sorry, Ron. Oh, no, no, what were you going to say? Oh, I was going to say, I always confuse the two. Um, like, The Grudge and and this movie, because they both have, like, the sort of, like, long black hair thing going for it. I always get these two very confused. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, so this film was built up to me for, like, a fairly long time time well at least for like a year so in my head i'm like okay the, the ring is supposed to be like really scary and um then eventually uh as i think i brought up i have brought up a couple times like most horror movies don't really work on me at least in terms of being scared because mainly because i have well it it's not just, like, movies, it's also, like, like ghost stories, like, scary books, stuff like that. I know enough of the structure that, for films, that I can pretty much go, okay, based on the rhythms, like, I kind of know when the scare is going to happen. So, you know, I love well, this film as, like, creepy imagery, but I didn't find it, like, particularly scary, um... Eventually, we're going to get to, like, one of the couple of horror movies that, like, did make me kind of jump in a theater because it knew how to kind of work against the rhythm, where there was, like, a jump scare, and then, like, another one, like, immediately, and I was like, ah, but when it comes to this, usually I'm looking for something else to, like, latch on to, and The Ring is was directed by Gore Verbinski, who we will talk about a fair bit next week, because he directed Pirates of the Caribbean, um... The Curse of the Black Pearl, and so so he's someone who I think he's just really skilled at making films that are kind of entertaining and that have other stuff going for it. So kind of by by leading into because well obviously obviously like you know there's the horror and stuff, but that's also kind of a mystery. It's trying to find out the deal with the tapes and then trying to find out the deal with with kind of Samara and just all um just all that stuff that I was really able to latch on to like I think Naomi Watts is giving them really a really good performance as the lead um David Orphan's fine Blah. no wait they oh no sorry I was thinking that who oh the no the kid's okay like the kid kid could be worse but yeah I. I'm Arden Henderson, who is like the the kind of last person to get killed by the ghosts, the sort of fake out. Like, I think he's really good in it. Um, the opening sequence when I was watching it, I'm like, oh, this is kind of like Scream. I'm just at least in people in like a house, and then you do a couple of fake outs before the scary thing actually happens. And yeah, I think the yeah, uh, Brian Cox is really good. It's kind of like the dad, the dad, dad, and you know, sort of the ultimate re 
the ultimate bit, I think, where they're able to solve it, and they're able to figure out what happened to her, and they're able to get justice, but it still isn't, like, enough to break the curse, I thought was really effective. Um, yeah, but this did not work on you, so you can talk about that a bit. <laughs> yeah, um, man, <laughs> Chip and Dale, and then this, like, we can't seem to agree on a mov- movies this week. Um, <laughs> uh, maybe as this movie had um, Ugly Sonic, we maybe have more to agree on about it. Um, I think this, I think I can admit that this is probably a case where watching these movies uh, at like two times speed affected the movie. Um, I think this is like one of those instances where like, I, I think it is, it was harmful to the point of like tipping it over the edge of me not super enjoying it. Um, but I don't know how much I would get out of this on like a rewatch. Um, I think my biggest gripe with this movie is probably two things that um, are not intrinsically bad, but just don't work for me. I think one is that I think with horror movies, um, I kind of like there to be sort of like scenes that are sort of just like nice or at least like um just sort of like uh like a little bit of like reprieve a little bit so that way um some more messed up scenes hit hit a little harder i feel like this this movie sort of has um weird creepy imagery and events like um whether it's like the actual video itself or um the horse jumping off the boat um but then when it's not that it's sort of just a pretty bland sort of straight line and there isn't a lot of like reprieve i guess um i I, i'm glad that you liked the ending i didn't like the ending i didn't like that there was this i i guess that it's more it's more symbolic of that i like i like your interpretation that it wasn't enough i was more just super confused about like um because I think, because based off my quick skimming of the Wikipedia page for The Ring 2 that I did after, um, is that apparently, like, the rule is that if you copy the tape, you don't die in the seven days? So I understand that in sort of, like, a metaphorical sense of, like, oh, you're, like, helping spread the message of something? Um... But I just, I don't know. I didn't like it all that much. It was, like, weird... It was a little confusing. I felt I felt a little stupid because I didn't get it initially. Um, but I think even with all that, I feel like this movie is just there. I feel like the scenes that aren't cool um, are really frequent and like don't have enough else going for them for me to for it to me for for it to be enjoyable enough for me to get to the next cool part. Weirdly enough, this is almost exactly uh my feelings towards the chip and dale movie um these are these are very uh, very um good cinematic comparison um in that in chip and dale there are like a couple really good parts but everything in between just doesn't super do it for me all the time um, well, we're spending spend a lot of time hashing out Chip and Dale while we go for these movies <laughs> well exactly i don't think chip and dale is going to get nominated for anything um, but best who knows? Cameo could bring it back. <laughs> it could be best cameo. That would be that would be a hundred percent. Yeah, like I don't know. I feel like the the parts that like hook me into this movie, 
um, are just not frequent enough for me to really like it. Like, I really like the horse scene. I think horses are really scary, and not enough movies take advantage of the fact that, like, horses are just a terrifying thing when they escape. Um, yeah. And then, like, I... Trying to think of what else I really liked about it, because um, there are definitely there are definitely some cool images. I like how um, she's sort of seeing the places from like the the videotapes and is sort of piecing it together. Um, I just I don't know. It just the ending just feels a little weird. Um, that like making a copy of the tape means that she won't get you. Um, it just. It feels a little silly to me, personally. Yeah, and I think, and also this is roughly, like, kind of how the Japanese movie sort of plays out as as well. Um, it is, I, ha I had meant to do a, kind of a, a bit more looking, because I am pretty sure this is based on kind of Japanese folk culture um, when looking at kind of yeah I think it's it's an unreal like it's a vengeful a vengeful ghost capable of causing harm in the world of the living and to exact venge vengeance to redress the wrongs it received while alive and yeah ghosts are often wrong wronged women traumatized by what happened during life and Revenge and death, so I'm not gonna say I'm an expert on something that I literally just looked up. Where uh, I think my sister showed me um, a Sailor Moon episode that had like that exact same kind of motif, um, where it was like a, a ghost trying to like mess with people because she was wrong. Yeah, um, I watched an I watched a few episodes of. Infam of infamously like, uh, I mean it's it's an it's an insane dub, but it's called Ghost Stories. Um, but it it's essentially what if an abridged series was an officially licensed dub of an anime. <laughs> and there is an episode where there is like a piano ghost, and if it plays this song like four times, like someone will die, and then it goes, it's just like the ring, just. <laughs> but uh. yeah so but I'll say like to the ending I think partly uh, at least my, my interpretation and why I think like it is a it is effective is that the the idea that it's not enough for them to kind of figure out what happened it's not enough that they're able to like kind of re yeah, report it and properly bury her and do, you know, do all this stuff. It's the idea that this awful thing happened to her and she needs people to know about it. So, essentially, you, yeah, it becomes the burden of the user to, like, kind of make a copy of the tape and make sure it gets in someone else's hands or, yeah. Or you are essentially overcome by like, kind of that that trauma. It, I can see like why maybe it's a bit unsa unsatisfying in a sense, or it seems like it comes out of the blue because 
it is, the movie also ends pretty quickly after, like, when it gets to those last few minutes when suddenly Noah is dead, and they realize that it's come to, like, copy the tape. Um, I'm curious to at least see The Ring 2, because I know Naomi Watts is back for that, and it's kind of continuing around, but I just, I do like the idea of the only way to, like, save yourself is to implicate someone else in this terror, and the only, and the idea that it, it, that it ultimately kind of comes back down to whatever the movie has to say with, like, parenting, like, Samara's parents wouldn't protect her, and, like, bl blamed her for all this awful stuff, but Naomi Watts is going to protect her son, because she's going to, like, let him copy the tape. And even though yeah. that's inevitably going to just continue this cycle. Yeah, I, I guess it is, yeah, sort of just the abruptness of it. Um, I, I, I do like the idea of it, like, not being enough. And, like, if this movie ends with, like, them, like, still dying, I think that'd be fine. Um, or if this movie ended, or if that scene happened a bit earlier on, and we could have, like, maybe a little bit more of the movie. Um, maybe, I guess maybe that's what The Ring 2 is. And maybe that's where I would find a better experience, kind of seeing, like, the implications of sort of a It Follows-esque sort of, like, passing passing the burden on to someone else and, like, the like the implications of that and how that would, like, affect you. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I do feel it. It's weird. I feel like this movie sort of, like, brushes past scenes that I think would be, like, like like, genuinely, like, really horrific and, like, awful. Um, like, when, like, the, like, when, um, uh, the mom kills, um, uh, 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 Debbie Chase's character, uh, Sa Samara, right? Samara? Yeah, so, yeah, I thought Samara or Samara. Yeah. Like... Samara, yeah. Um, like, when she, like, the, like, that's, like, that is, that, could have been such like a visceral, awful, but in a kind of good horror movie way scene, but they they brush by it really quickly. Um, to be fair, to what point do you want to watch a child die on screen? I well, why watch a horror movie about a dead child? Um, I I really enjoy when movies like give me that awful gut feeling. Um, like it is it is something I don't actively seek out a lot. Um, but it's, it's kind of like, it's like going out to, to dinner at a place you don't usually go out, but you're, you're treating yourself a little bit. Um, and that's like why I watch like movies kind of like this. And I was kind of a little disappointed by that, that like a lot of this movie is just sort of a clearly intentional, but not very interesting, like color palette of like a bunch of scenes of, like in buildings. Um, and in like, like videotape offices and like apartments um yeah that just it just it didn't super do it for me but maybe the ring 2 from what i read kind of maybe sounds a little more what i would be kind of looking for out of a movie like this um yeah uh, so what did we think of the villain uh, of of samara morgan the Um, uh, I think, I, oh man, um, I, hmm, 
I think, like, it's tough to say. Um, I think some of the lines she says uh, are a little cheesy, but I said she's like, she would be considered like, she would be like a child actor, I assume, right? Yes. Yeah. So she was, she was probably around 11 when they filmed this? Yeah. Okay, yeah. No, okay, that's like, yeah, that's a, that's a baby. Um, like, but outside of that, like, the, like, the posture and, like, a lot of, like, the makeup and stuff, like, especially in, like, in the more, um, the more, uh, surreal sequences or the more creepy sequences is really, really well done. Um, as, yeah, especially on, like, the child acting bell curve, like, really good. Like, we don't get a lot of, like, child villains, but, yeah. Yeah. What did you think? Yeah, I thought she was good. Um, an interesting thing I just learned is Davi Chase's other like really big role is she is the voice of Lilo and Lilo and Stitch, and all the kind of associated Lilo oh, and nice. Stitch properties, which is yeah. oh, that's, okay, that's really nice. Lilo and range. Stitch came out like the same year as this, so oh wow, yeah, I think yeah, I don't, I think it might just come down to like. I don't know. I think horror movies definitely have a big hurdle in that, like, they are kind of forced to deliver lines that have a very high probability to sound, like, really corny and lame. Um, but I yeah. think this movie, for the most part, did a pretty good job. Yeah, I would say, yeah. I think she's she's good. Definitely, definitely contributes to it. Um, one thing I think also is important for horror movies is atmosphere, which maybe is a little hard to maintain when it's at double the speed. Um, but. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 yeah, I fully admit that like this might be that this might be a case with that. Um, it's like finally, the downfall of the way you watch most of the movies for this <laughs> podcast. Yeah, but also like I, I've also, but I feel like I've watched other movies that are able to, you know, it's it's a it's a plus if a movie can maintain tone at two times speed, and I will give it props for a majority of the movies that we, we cover on this list. Yes, um, more, more movies yeah. should expect people to watch them <laughs> at a different like frequency that they were filmed Exactly. In. <laughs> like, with all of our listeners, if I ever say something about your favorite movie, like, please always remember that I'm watching it, like, at two times speed, possibly on my phone in bed. Um, like... I, I believe that it gives me my unique uh, perspective. Um, there's a lot of movies that I, I honestly would not be able to watch otherwise. Um, uh, but yeah, like if if I, if you're ever like, oh my gosh, like Ben is is so wrong about um, about Disturbia. Disturbia is like one of is peak cinema if you watch it at one time speed. I really can't argue with it. You like how you picked like a bad movie <laughs> like, example. <laughs> well, I think I could probably count on my hands like the amount of movies that I've not enjoyed while watching this, uh, while doing this podcast. And I feel like, yeah, I feel like, but I, I do. I think The Ring is especially hurt by by my style of watching movie. Um, you know, I. If, if only I had more time, you know. It's not like I, I watched two whole other movies at non two times speed. You know, I I think you bring a good perspective, and 
you raise some valid points in your critique that would be applicable no matter the speed. Um, but yeah, I I think she's scary. It it is funny that, and I think it speaks to how much this movie impacted that she was able to win, win because she doesn't have that much screen time, but. You definitely like you are constantly feeling kind of a threat of her when she's not around. Like, yeah. And then I, uh, I think another contributing factor is also just this is another property that has been parodied to death. Um, like I, man, like scary movie. It's either three or four had like it is one of its like core parodies. Um, and just, like, seeing it in all types of, like, media, um, like, you know, Family Guy, Robot Chicken, like, it's one of those things that is, is forever tainted by a million, you know, a million parodies and jokes that made at its expense and using its, like, material. Yeah. No. I'm sure that contributes as well. It's, it's why, it's why I was pleasantly surprised that, like, I still, like, because... I was completely unaware that a lot of this film was just trying to solve the mystery of what happened to her. Like, I was maybe expecting something that was a bit more like, oh, it's... I thought maybe it was about, like, a lot, a lot of people. Like, I wasn't sure the logistics of a plot where you watch this and you die in several days, but not the way they handled it was interesting. Um, yeah. Do we have much else to say on The Ring? Or is it V-Chase? Or... Well, no. Um, yeah, it's it's. I I want to give the original one definitely a chance, and then maybe the sequel, and then hopefully this one at normal speeds, maybe around Halloween or something. Um, yeah, I think I'm ready to move on. Yeah, and I will try and get the original ring a watch, maybe for an episode before we go on like hiatus or something like. If you're listening to yeah. 2005 and I suddenly go, Mags, what do you think of the ring? Um, it's because I watched <laughs> the original. It's, and if we don't talk about the ring at all next week, it's because we recorded that one like two weeks ago. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, but moving on to a film we both enjoy, uh, Spider Man. Oh, man. Um, what a. Oh, man. What a good movie. Um,. Yeah, I, man, one of the first, like, damn good, um, like, superhero movies. Um, like, like, one of, super iconic, like, every character's really fun, um, it's got, uh, what's his name, Bruce Campbell in it, doing his little, fun little cameo, um, like, in all the Sam Raimi's. Um, like, amazing, amazing villain. Um, <laughs> I really, I, it's very funny in places that I don't know are super intentional. Like, it's, I don't, I, I feel like there are some scenes where I'm supposed to laugh, but I don't know if as hard. Um, two that always come up to me are, like, the scene where, Aunt May is praying, and then just her entire wall behind her explodes because of the Green Goblin. Uh, that is hilarious. Um, and then also when when uh, Green Goblin goes like, "Are you in or are you out?" 
And then uh, Spider-Man goes like, you're the one that's out, out of your freaking mind, Gobby. Um, just like funny, really emotional. Like it just is. I I have not watched Spider-Man two in forever. Um, so I I feel like that one is definitely like my favorite. But like, damn, is it much closer than like I I originally had these in my head? I assume. Yeah, Spider-Man 2, which I'm very excited to talk about, because that is my favorite of these, um, of the, uh, of the Raimi Spider-Man. Uh, this movie, it is really good. Like, Sam Raimi, since our last episode, a different podcast I listened to, uh, Blank Check, which I think I mentioned, has been covering the films of Sam Raimi, and actually released their over a three-hour-long episode devoted to Spider-Man um, on Sunday, so the same week this episode's coming out, so really glad we are going to be directly competing with our Spider-Man coverage when, but, um, <laughs> for the second time we talk about the movie Spider-Man, but anyways, having watched his previous movies, it is crazy that Sam Raimi, who was like a low-budget kind of horror filmmaker who I cast Bruce Campbell in a lot of stuff and kept trying to make him a star until Bruce Campbell had to go, look, you're going to hurt your career if you keep trying to put me as the lead of everything. Um, and that, you know, he beat out a lot of big names to, like, make this movie. Um, but he's just clearly so passionate about this world and the source material, and it really captures, like, Two is the one that I think that best kind of captures the feel of all the best Spider-Man stories, but this one is, I think, a really good start. Um, you know, it it kind of has that campiness going on, like you know the the goblin scene, but it's one of these it's one of those films, you know, kind of like Titanic that we cover, where there really is just something for everyone, you know. There's action, there's romance, there's, like, jokes, there's Steve Austin, you know. Bone size, ready? Like, <laughs> it's just, it's really quotable. It's like... <laughs> oh, man. It's, yeah, it is so good. You got J.K. Simmons in one of his most iconic roles. Yeah. Um, Sam Raimi's brother, Ted, is, like, the guy who's always just... Pitching the ideas to J.K. Simmons, it's like, no, that's terrible, that's bad. Like, it's... Um... <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Um, and then, yeah, to sort of probably one of, like, the most, um, like, if, if we're not for this performance, this one would definitely not be as close to two as it is, but, like, like, uh, Willem Dafoe's Norman Osborn slash Green Goblin, like, he's, it's one of those things where, like, um, he's kind of, like, become, uh, kind of like Hugh Jackman's Wolverine, where, like, it's not a, a per, another person, like, can't touch this, you know? Um, like, this is their role, and, like, deservedly so, because they absolutely knock it out of the park with this one. Um, like, yeah. giving such a fun, like, sort of, like, good, like, contrast between, like, this sort of, like, mildly like very distant you know very corporatized father and this also contrast with this absolutely insane just funny just like very like 
limber and like um uh just like bombastic uh goblin based creature. Yeah, this is like I was meaning to revisit our previous segment because I know last time we gave a pretty general overview, and I'm sure we talked about the foe a bit, though. Maybe we kept it romance-focused, fo- so if you've listened to every episode and you catch us repeating some stuff, we're sorry. We we don't listen yeah. to every episode of our... We're, we're only human. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it, it's he's really good. Like, he just has a lot of dimensionality to the character. Um, I'll say... I do think you can probably give another good Green Goblin performance, uh, but I don't know if we would get to this level. It's also tricky, because I would assume that the only way you could do Green Goblin is if you kind of do what they did in Into the Spider-Verse and do the version of the character where it's like a hulking monster, um, which is less fun than a guy flying around in a silly costume. Um, with his silly mess that I'm still upset that they give us like two seconds of in No Way Home before they're like, okay, yeah. he's not wearing the mask in this yeah. time. Yeah, oh, that's super disappointing. Um, in But to be fair, uh, the scene where he smashes the mask is really good and almost makes it worth it. Like, that's a really good, like, really good part of the movie. Um but yeah, it is disappointing that he doesn't have his little like Power Rangers helmet. Um, I used to, I had a toy of that. It was probably one of my favorite toys. Uh, it came with like you could like you could like take off his little mask and you got it, it was. I'm sure they still do it, but it was during that um, that kind of toy where it's designed after the actors. So you have this just hyper realistic Willem Dafoe face. On like a little action figure that you just play around with. Um, oh, I had something and then I lost it. Um, oh yeah, this is also um, the second movie on this villain list that has a weird owl song um, recounting the events. Um, the first being Star Wars Episode One with Weird Al's song "The Saga Begins." And then this movie with the Weird Al song, Ode to a Superhero, a parody of Piano Man. Um, yeah, which I noticed I rem- you mentioned the moment you called it a Power Rangers mask. Yeah, <laughs> that's a line from the song. Um, and weirdly he's enough, wearing that dumb that Power, Power Rangers, Rangers mask. Funny, scarier without, without it on. In that song, I remember he's, there's a line where like he says that he's trying to kill everyone. Um, and I showed that to my teacher in like probably the second grade and she got like kind of upset and said, you're not allowed to listen to that anymore. Uh, cause it's too violent, but I, I didn't, it didn't register for me as a kid. I thought it was just a fun Weird Al song. Um, it is a <laughs> fun Weird Al song and that teacher needs the light to know. <laughs> to be fair, if, if all you heard was a kid coming up to you and he's listening to music about killing a bunch of people. Um, that probably wouldn't, I, I, I respect their decision. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, um. Agree to disagree. <laughs> <laughs> Man, the, the ring and now how teachers should respond to violence. Like, we can't agree on anything this episode. 
We um, this movie being great. <laughs> we do. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, I guess this is also the segment where I can talk about... Or, I, I guess I might want to go on a little mini uh, spiel about superhero movie. But before I do that, is there anything you want to sort of... Anything um, relating to what we've immediately said that you don't want to lose track of before I, I expouse? Yeah, the thing with the costume, and is it, it's funny, because they do kind of set it up where it's like, oh, he collects crazy masks, that's why the mask looks like that, for this military, like, uniform, just... Oh, I didn't, but, I didn't even, I, that didn't, I just thought, it's a comic book movie, so of course he has a goofy costume. That didn't, that little detail didn't even register for me. <laughs> yeah, and it is a detail that... Yes, William Defoe, I think, is plenty intimidating without, like, the costume on, but also, as someone who's read a lot of Spider-Man and a lot of Green Goblin stuff, like, if they had just done the comic book costume, that would look a lot sillier, and I think there is, like, kind of screen tests of a sort of latex version of the mask, or something that, like, moves around a bit, and, you know, someone of whatever stage in the process says, no, it this does just does not make sense, like, for kind of this vision of the character. Like, if you're wearing, like, a goofy plastic mask, which also can make a lot of crazy facial expressions, like it's a regular face, like, you know. So, I think it, it works, and it kind of works for the tones they they suit for, the that this movie is kind of shooting for, that it is this guy, and, like, it's also... He was around that costume, but it's not like a big clunk clunky thing. Like something that always surprises me is how acrobatic like the goblin is. Like you know, he's kind of dancing around and he's able to fight Spider Man. Yeah, he's kinda and, he does like a he does kind of like a silly walk and like a lean on Spider Man when he's talking about like you and me can run this city. Like he's very like he's limber. Yeah, which you would which you're not like initially expect and yeah, the glider's really cool. Um, the bombs that turn people into skeletons? Just... <laughs> That's my favorite scene from the movie. <laughs> Why don't we turn Aunt May into a skeleton and no way home, you know? Just... <laughs> it would have been a nice little callback. Like, I, I, think... I guess she has to give the line. <laughs> exactly, yeah. I think one of, my fa one of the funniest... Uh, things about this movie. I think I saw a tweet once where it was like, it was like top 10 movies that were 100% practical effects and they just show that clip. <laughs> it's just so funny. <laughs> so these people actually turned into skeletons. Uh, but it's like, yeah, it's also just like, it's in, it's, it's the, the, the weird, like, business corporate guys turning into skeletons is like, perfectly emblematic of this movie's ability to create things that are like really funny and goofy but also like like really like kind of like grounded not grounded but like really scary and like menacing without like without losing too much on either end of that yeah like yeah he, he does convey like a genuine sense of like menace and then also kind of goofiness like i know this movie is pretty intense for me when i was a kid like uh, I only saw one of the Spider-Mans in theaters. This one I kind of wait for the home video release for. And I think I read, like, the, you know, back when they used to do the, the official storybook of the movie or, like, the 
not even like the chapter book, but I'm like, I can flip to like page 20 of this picture book and see there is like him clearly getting like attacked by his glider or whatever and going, hmm, am I, can I handle this on a big screen? And then I watch him like, oh, well, this isn't as bad. And it's not that sad because he's like a villain, but I mean, there is like a bit of tragedy when like he impales himself. Yeah, because like it's still, it's, it's like implied that like it's like it's not, he's just not well. He just, like, he just, it's, um, like, it's, it's not like, oh, that's not the real Osborne, like, that's the Green Goblin, that's the other guy. And, like, it is, like, really, it is, like, a really, like, tragic scene. Um, and then sort of, like, uh, he sort of gets, like, his final moments being, like, rested on the bed, and then, uh, James Franco pulls out that gun that's always in movies, that, like, little pistol. Um, yeah, just setting up for the, setting up for the sort of events in, that more take place in the third movie. Yeah, and that kind of, that kind of set up there. Also, he does sell really well, like, how dismissive he is just as a dad, like, you know, it, Sometimes it's hard to feel bad for James Franco, but you really feel bad for James Franco in this movie. Like it's, yeah, no, definitely. Like he he plays like the he plays both ends of this role really well, Willem Dafoe. Um, like just absolutely great. Yeah, you know he's something of a scientist. Just... <laughs> and when I <laughs> when I saw. Um, no way home in theaters, and that line came up. I almost didn't get to hear all of it because everyone was just everyone did their big Marvel movie uh, audience like cheer and clap, um, which is uh, it's you know it's, it's I'm really glad that you know movie theaters are back. You know it's it's things like that. You know some people think it's annoying, but like it's kind of like the reason I go to movies sometimes is to get that sort of group experience yeah de definitely like i love the theaters i i go all the time and it is i mean that is kind of the fun of seeing those movies like even even like recent superhero movies when you know some of us are predictable but you know, like hearing like the big kind of crowd moments like the the big the big reactions um and hey speaking of superhero movies you watch superhero movie? Um. Yes. Oh, what a good segue. Um, so superhero movie, I'm not sure if it's made by the guys who make like the scary movies, but it's, it's though it's that kind of movie. Like it has, um, Oh God, I'm, I'm brain farting on his name. Who's like the person that's in all those movies. He's like the naked gun guy. Um, what's what's his Nielsen? Name? yes, he's like in all those movies. Um, uh, also for our audience, superhero movie is just on YouTube, like uploaded by some guy, um, like the whole thing. Uh, and it's been up there for like months cause I saw it there a while ago and it hasn't been taken down yet. Um, it is, so these parody movies, um, as they went on, uh, became very, very like, they're just reaching for, like, everything. Like, Disaster Movie is barely about any one movie. 
epic movies the same way. I think Meet the Spartans is the same way. Um, yes. Um, this yeah. is where I have to like, I'll st- I'll step in and say that uh, epic movie, disaster movie, Meet the Spartans as what spoof film? Probably not another teen movie because that's the one directly like, spoof movie we had to cover for. That's case. Well, also scary mm-hmm. movie too, but they were made by Jason Friedberg and Aaron Seltzer, who did a draft of Scary Movie, not the draft they went with, but they did it enough that they got like writing credits, and then they can make these films and go. This was from two of the five writers of Scary Movie. Um, yeah. <laughs> And this film, Superhero Movie, is by Craig Ma- Craig Mazin, who also was like a writer on, um, I don't know if he did the original Scary Movie, but he did, but he did Scary Movie, he wrote Scary Movie 3 and 4, um, and then got to direct this, and this is his only directed film to date, but he would go on to write the scripts for the Hangover sequels. And then, in one of the funniest things, like, his big credit is he created this television miniseries, Chernobyl, which is, like, a very hard-hitting, like, moving, like, drama about, like, the Chernobyl disaster. Oh, gee, I think my parents are watching that, actually. Yeah, Um, and he is currently making The Last of Us TV show. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, um, yeah, it's, it's very strange, um... This is a movie that's, uh, I'm gonna bring it up. I, I feel like I'm, I can. Uh, I'm gonna bring up, uh, Chip and Dale in every movie we cover, but I, it is a movie that I think is funnier than Chip and Dale. But it's the same th- sort of feeling where, like, it's not a very good holistic experience, but it, it has, like, little splurts of, like, really, really funny jokes. Um, it's weird. If you look at the poster for this movie, it's like the titular main parody guy. He's like the dragonfly. He's sort of the Spider-Man standard. And he's surrounded by like other superheroes, like a couple of Fantastic Four, um, Wolverine, Storm. These Also, not parody versions of these characters. Like, they're actually called that in the movie. Like, he's actually meets like Invisible Woman, the Human Torch, Wolverine, like they're not like parody versions of it, which kind of sucks. Um, I I really like a good parody, even if it's kind of like lame. I kind of like an interesting like inter. It's it's like a fun interpretation of a character. Like I like the dragonfly. I think he's like a funny looking weird stupid design. Um, I like the villain of superhero movie, the hourglass, and like he looks like a like a cheap um, like uh. Power Rangers villain. Um, most of the characters in the poster show up in like one scene where he goes to like the X Men parody school. That's maybe five or ten minutes. But most of this movie is Drake Bell being Tobey Maguire's character from Spider Man, but then like little jokes are added to each scene. Um, I'm glad I watched this really close to Spider-Man because there were just scenes that are like one for one, like the scene where he's chasing the bus, the scene where he talks to Mary Jane outside of their houses, um, like the scene where he like goes to like the newspaper, um, like it is, there are so many just like 
borderline stolen scenes from Spider-Man movie. Um, in this one, uh, and it's weird because a lot of them are played like weirdly straight sometimes. Um, but let me tell you that when this jokes, when this movie's jokes land, they land hard. Um, I can't tell you how much I've laughed at the scene where he's like, he's like giving the photos to like the newspaper and they're just very clearly like, like him just holding the camera like a few, like, like a few inches from his face, just given like the peace sign in what is clearly his room. And it's just little subtle things like that. And then also, um, you know, the scene in Spider-Man where like Mary Jane's parents are like yelling and like she leaves the house and like talks to Toby. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Imagine that scene, except there's, like, a bunch of, like, cartoon sounds and, like, gunshots. And then when, like, the Mary Jane standing comes out, she goes, oh, my God, you heard that? <laughs> it's it's a movie that if it were not free on YouTube, I would not recommend in the slightest. Um, it has a bunch of very awful jokes that, like, suck and aren't funny. Um, but... It's worth sitting through for the for the the few amazing jokes. Um, yeah, uh, I I think I think Craig is is very talented. Um, I think if you were to make just like an original comedy movie and like um, just like just tried that out, I think he would do an amazing job. Because the worst parts of this movie are like the like barely trying parody parts like like when it's just oh it's just storm and then the tracy um the tracy morgan playing xavier just like calls her fat and then he electrocutes her like those are so lame but like um when they're like at like the table uh there's like the table scene with like him and like the villain who's like the father of of um of like the of the James Franco stand-in, and they're, like, going, like, how'd you get that, like, scrape? And it's, like, well, I fell down the stairs, and, like, how'd you get that scrape? And he's, like, I broke my crack pipe. <laughs> it's just, like, ex- escalating and escalating each thing that they say. Um, definitely give it a watch. It is, it's goofy. Um, and I think that is the first and last time we will talk about a Drake Bell movie on this podcast. Hmm. We'll see about that. No, you're you're probably right. Um. All right. So, do we have anything more to say about Spider-Man? Um, I know we talked about it before, uh, but yeah. Um. No, I, it is a like. I recommend watching this and then watching superhero movie. Uh, just because it's neat, it was just a neat experience. Um, because I I think superhero movie was one of the first movies I rented as somebody probably too young to be watching it. Um, I rented it on like a we took like a lake trip and like rented like a big house or a small house actually. Um, I did not I I was shocked at how much of this was Spider Man and not a billion other things like most of these parody movies. Yeah. Um... Yeah, definitely. I know. I think Batman Begins was the other thing, thing the superhero movie Wikipedia page also 
Touchpoint, but I remember looking at the trailer and going, oh yeah, this is just Spider-Man. Um, Drake Bell also was the voice of Peter Parker in the Ultimate Spider-Man cartoon show for several years. And then oh. I believe he did like an Avengers cartoon as well. Um, Oh, well, that's super neat. Yeah. But, yeah, Spider-Man, a uh, great movie. Again, we we barely touched, touched on it, but we've talked about it before. And, you know, I do think one, I'm sure, because I'm sure we'll talk about it again. Like, I'm sure the thing that makes this movie great is you it's easy to talk for a while about just kind of one aspect of it because everything's so well, like can do one where we focus more on the romance or just on the villain. And, but yeah, it is a great film. Um, William Dafoe is really good on it. And yeah, I'm now I'm just remembering the scene where he's like holding like Mary Jane and then like the cable car again. And the, Oh, you yeah. mess with one of us, you mess with all of us. Oh yeah, that's oh, that's super good. I love I they're oh, lovely. Yeah. Um but now we can move on to a movie, yeah. I believe. Okay, good. It's, we talked about Gangs in New York before we got to Daredevil. I'm like <laughs> Yeah, I give it a bit of a chance. Um Yeah. No, we're we're going from uh from New York to New York. <laughs> to New York yeah. again. Yeah, um, Little New York trilogy for the 2003 film <laughs> movies again. And yeah, so last time we talked about Gangs in New York, obviously the focus was on the romance and best kiss, which was not the strong suit of the movie. But this time we get to talk about what is the strong suit of the movie. Um, Daniel Day Lewis as Bill the Butcher. Yeah, oh man. Um I really I really like this movie. Um it's my second time watching it. I feel like I liked it the first time. This is one of those ones where I honestly I don't remember how I felt about it, but like um one thing I like about this movie and I think we we've talked about other Scorsese movies and I think the one example that I I brought up a couple times is Casino and how I feel like Casino starts to like spin its wheels a little bit. Um, I like that this one, it's a long movie, but you kind of get to see, um, sort of the, sort of like the, you get to see like this, this empire of a man, like, like fall and then like is tragically and like violently like stricken out. Um, like it's, it really takes advantage of that, like, um, of that runtime. I really appreciate that. Yeah. It's, again, uh, I'm a big fan of this movie. I think last time you enjoyed it and then you were just having the romance and maybe you felt the runtime a, a bit. I feel you, I feel last time you did watch it at one time speed. Like, you watched it with Oh yeah, I watched it with Ian friends. Yeah, I watched it with my friends. And yeah, I guess maybe it felt a little, this, yeah, this is, it's, it's one of those ones where I feel like the two times speed definitely benefits, um, because I'm able like to, I I am not super like bogged down by super long run times, um, and I think I was also in the bathroom for like a good ten minutes, uh, near the end, um, before before the 
the cannons, but near the end. Yeah, um, uh, this is this is a film I liked a lot the last time, and I found it again similar similarly compelling. Like it's long, but you know, Scorsese's at like the top top of his field for a reason, and it's he's good at making these big sweeping epics that get kind of personal. Uh, I just finished the other day watching The Departed, which is the fourth and final Scorsese film we're going to cover for Best Villain. It is also about Leonardo DiCaprio going un, kind of undercover, but this time it's more official in like, or embedding himself in a criminal organization run by like his nemesis. But this one is at kind of in modern day Boston. Um, and I think one thing he is good at is like, he makes long, long movies, but I mean, well, Casino, a lot of it was kind of done in montage and sort of going through this stuff. For like Gangs in New York and like Departed, I think he's he's really good at just exploring kind of all, all the characters and, you know, you really get a full picture of Bill, not just as, oh yeah, he's the villain, but as like a human being who maybe is feeling like the weight of his legacy a bit, even if he is, like, uh, very racist and very, and kind of, you know, a big proponent of the nativist movement. Just Oh, yeah. Like, I, yeah, another thing that's really good about this movie is that, like, there was clearly a lot of, like, care for, like, everybody in the background, like, all the costumes and, like, the sets that, like, it really does, like, it really does a really good job of, like, transporting you to this world. And, like, at, at no, at no point does it ever feel, like, like, artificial. Um, like, everyone's doing, everyone's giving, like, a really good performance. I'm never, I'm never sucked out. I'm, I'm, I'm fully in, like, um, like, middle of the war, like, a middle of a war game, um, middle of the war in New York, like, the whole time. Um, and, like, oh, man, I, I don't, I don't want to feel bad if I'm jumping around a bit, but, like, that, that ending as well is just something that is just so, it is, oh, it is so, like, it's, it's very powerful. Yeah, I feel the ending is something we wound up talking about a lot yeah. last time, because it is, yeah, really effective in a movie that I think does well to undercut kind of well, everything, like the hero and the villain by, you know, the idea that the entire stakes, this entire battle you've been watching on, like, in the grand in the grand scope of history, it doesn't matter, and even then, that by the time they finally get to have the epic clash it is like, they pick the moment where New York is about to, like, irrevocably change as a result of, like, these riots and kind of the moment, the exact moment that all of this kind of becomes irrelevant to the greater sweep of history. And and yeah, it is always, like, yeah. really effective when they get ready for their, like, final battle, but, like, cannons are going off in the street. Like, yeah, it's it's super, and especially, like, in contrast to, like, the, the opening scene of, like, this gang battle that, like, was so much more grand um, in, like, comparison and like the the winners and victors of that like like set 
was like really meaningful like going forward and like sort of sets one of the major like the major conflicts of this movie and like the relationship between Leonardo DiCaprio characters and Daniel Day Lewis. Yeah, whereas with, yeah, whereas with this one, like the final climax is amidst like two other much larger climaxes. Yeah, and it's that thing where like the riot stuff is kind of like in the background for a lot of the film, and then all of a sudden it is just all over the place. And by the time like Leonardo DiCaprio and like Bill, by the time they have their final battle, Bill's already like mortally wounded, but he. And I think part of what makes it effective too is he is still basically clinging on to like his his beliefs, like his you know, he's still like, Thank God I die a true American like which is just such a good line to say before you get stabbed a bunch of times like, in the street. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it is oh man. It is a Yeah, that is a what a whew, like ending to an already pretty like pretty like intense course of events um yeah it's he's giving like a really good performance he he manages to be someone that is like like you said like like pretty um like pretty awful but it also has this like like tinge of like entertainment about him and like he very much like runs a room when he's in it um that makes him like that makes him like pretty entertaining like to watch um He's also, like, very, like, he's very cutthroat, he's very brutal. Um, there's that scene kind of near the end where he, um, he just, like, kills that one, that one giant guy with the, with the club just in broad daylight. Um, you know, he's, after telling him, like, like, things aren't like that anymore, like, the world's changing, sort of, probably, like, something that truly is, like, kind of strikes to the heart of Bill's character. And just he just kills him in broad daylight after that. Um, like that's also another like really good scene that I like. Yeah. Yeah. And Daniel Day Lewis, like there's there's a reason why it's a big deal. Every time he's like, Okay, I'm coming out of retirement. Oh see what gets in that movie. Like he really again, he you know, he gives those performances and like you believe that he respects Leonardo DiCaprio's father, even if he, you know, doesn't believe that he was, like, an American? Like, you you kind of get kind of that, con- all of the sides of the sort of conflict in him. And his relationship with Leo, I think, is also really well-developed. Like, you feel his hurt when he realizes, like, who Leo is, and what he had been planning. Um, and you also understand why, like, Leo chooses to save him at that one point. Like, Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think the only... This is probably... I think one of the only other Daniel Day-Lewis movies I have seen um, is In the Name of the Father, which is another amazing movie I really like. Um, that is just another, like... Uh, like, so many, like, good, like, iconic scenes, like, all... Have you seen In the Name of the Father? Uh, I have not. Oh, I I highly recommend. It is a super good movie. When did you see In the Name of the Father? I I don't know. I my friend Ian showed it to me. Um, I watched him. I think I watched him in the in the same. I don't know. Did I watch it the same night as Gags in New York? I might have. Um, it was either that or I watched it the same night that we watched uh, Prisoners. Um. But like yeah, just a 
just a phenomenal movie. Daniel Day Lewis, like playing like the main character, like is just a it's a pretty it's ooh, it's a it's a pretty intense movie at times. Like I really enjoy it though. Yeah. Um, okay. Yeah. No, I'll have to check that out. Like the other Day Lewis that I've seen are kind of those like major. Like, There Will Be Blood, Lincoln, and then Phantom Fred, um, two of which are like Paul Thomas Anderson, who did Punch Drunk Love, which we covered on the best hey. episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then the other, our old pal Spielberg, who I forget if we cover again for best villain. Um, After we covered T-Rex. Just... <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> It's still funny that John C. Riley is in this. So. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And like, yeah, I he's not in a, a bunch, but like, yeah, he's like a pretty. It's like it's, it's definitely like a weird, odd one out to see. Um, but he he does a good job. Yeah. Like, it, yeah. Like he he does a good job. A lot of things there. Um. Yeah. This is just another thing where I'm like, what did we talk about last time? Like, yeah. Like, yeah. We'll go over everything. We'll do. That. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, because I feel like, yeah, a lot of the stuff we talked about last time was, like, yeah, like, the ending, and then also, because it was more kind of kiss-based, like, I, I, I guess, I, yeah, I guess to sort of, um, to rehash that a little bit, like, I think this time around, um, it definitely wasn't as bad, just because I knew, I kind of had expectations going in about what that was, so, like, it wasn't, it wasn't as bad, and, like, some of the, some of the little romance scenes are cute, but, like, I, again, like, it's, the, the relationship between, like, Leo and Daniel is, like, is, like, the, the peak of this movie is so, is very, very compelling, um, and just sort of, like, the, the strengths of this movie are not, it's romance, it's going to be, like, not only it's major conflict, but it's, like, it's attention and little details and, like, sort of world building around its sort of background and minor elements that all all come to the front at the end. Yeah. The romance also, like, I think worked for me a bit better. It it helped that the focus this time around got to be on um, Daniel Day-Lewis. And... Yeah, I'm definitely glad I got to watch this movie again. Yeah, um, and I don't know if we cover Gangs of New York again, if that comes up, or if this is it, but, um, yeah, it's, it's nice we got to co- cover it a couple times, it's, I'm trying to think, it's wild that Liam Neeson is in this movie for, like, five minutes, or however long he is, just, <laughs> yeah, because I feel he was a pretty, like, established star at this point, even if it's a bit before his, like, Taken Renaissance, <laughs> Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do we have anything else to say about gangs in New York? Or... No, I think I think we kind of um. Huh? I I've got I got nothing else. It's just an amazing performance. Really, really interesting character. Like I I think a theme um that we kind of see is that like um some of our favorite villains are going to be either like, protagonist villains, or villains who, like, relationship to the protagonist are, like, really strong. Um, I think that is, like, it's not, 
It's not like always true, but it's like it's a very like solid connection usually between those. Yeah. It is certainly like easier to get invested in a villain where they are given like a lot of the focus or where there's a like rich, complicated relationship between them and the hero. Um, as much as we do love our like villains are just kind of the force of nature's nature present ones, but Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. But, yeah, with that, I guess we can move on to Daredevil. Um. <laughs> yeah, oh man. Um, so, first things first, I, sorry if we said this in our last time we covered this, but um, the the city, like the intro to like the city lights um, turn into Braille and then turn into words is really neat. I really like that. Um I I can't remember how hard we came down on this movie. Because um, it's, it's got some bad parts. It's not the best. Um, but it also has um, some, some really, really good elements. Those being um, its villains. And it does have some, like, pretty good scenes that are, like, that, like, like, are pretty like pretty dang cool if I do say so myself. Um, I guess what did you think about Daredevil on this? Uh, did you watch it again for for villains or? No, I think yeah, Daredevil <laughs> was one where I'm like, I think I have, I know everything I am going to get out of like Daredevil. Um, yeah, so it is a film certainly compared to Elektra. I think Daredevil is a lot better than <laughs> a, Electra. A much, much better movie than than Electra. Um I uh yeah, this movie has it's got goofy editing. It's like very like whip whip whippy. Um like vi- kind of similar to certain scenes in like Spider Man, but just like done way too much. Um a few things that this movie like definitely gets wrong in my opinion and it's really unfortunate because i think these are these are two characters that get like oh the most and then a, a unreasonably large amount of screen time is that like i don't super love ben affleck and i don't super love um uh john uh oh my god why can't i pronounce his last name but fat how do you pronounce his last favreau john favreau these two are not very good. I think their first little interaction in like the coffee shop is like kind of cute, and then everything after that is like sort of a a really awkward attempt at being like kind of quippy and charming and fun. Um, they're like little dino- they're trying to do like sort of like a Reminds me of kind of like a, a Jerry and George from Seinfeld type thing. It doesn't super work. And then Ben Affleck just, I, I don't super love him as the main guy. Um, yeah. Favreau was a little better served in my m- memory by the director's cut, though it's still like, yeah. Um, Netflix on, not Netflix, well, Daredevil on. Now it's just on Disney Plus. They got moved off of Netflix, but like, 
is a much better take on both Daredevil as a character and on the character of Foggy Nelson, who is pretty big in the comics. And now it's just kind of funny that guy who directed Iron Man is like playing Foggy here. Um, <laughs> yeah, I am now looking at my original review for Daredevil to, to confirm where I'm like, yeah. Affleck's bad in it. Um, Garner, I don't think, is really good just because Elektra is such a cool character in the comics, and they really do not figure her out here. And But the main thing with Daredevil is um, it's never going to help it that every time we have to watch it, we also watch Spider-Man. Um, yeah, it, it really does stink. I watched Daredevil first this time. Um... Just because I knew that, um, yeah, it's it's just a very much an inferior version because it goes for a lot of similar things. Um, yeah, I will say though, some of the things I some of the things this movie does really well. Um, I feel like last time I definitely I feel like I maybe overstated the difference in which or maybe this is probably just how I genuinely felt at the time but I I do enjoy um Colin Farrell's bullseye much closer to uh, Michael Clark Duncan's kingpin than originally um because I super enjoyed it uh this time around they're both going for two very different energies, and I can respect a lot more of uh, Colin Farrell's performance this time around, and his his very fun, like, rattlesnake coat motif. Um, yeah, last yeah. time I talked a lot about Michael Clark Duncan, because I do, that is kind of, the, uh, the one element of this movie I do enjoy is uh, or, like, unequivocally enjoy is his, like, Michael Clark Duncan's performance as Kingpin. And I think I was a bit, um, like, yeah, oh yeah, for a bullseye, where I'm like, oh, that's just crazy, but, um, you know, and I did watch clips of it. I do think he is, like, a much-needed bolt of energy for the movie, and he does kind of work where you're like, oh yeah, this guy is nuts. Like, it's, yeah. it's also funny that we kind of watched Phone Booth before this one, because like, it really shows that Colin Farrell has so much range. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's, I, I, really, I really got to enjoy his performance more now that I've, I've watched a couple more Colin uh, Farrell movies. Um, I definitely got to appreciate it a lot more in that like, he is putting a lot into this performance, and it is, it is a much-needed, like, sort of goofy, weird energy um, needed kind of compared to like a little bit more of like the sort of stoic and like towering uh, kingpin. Um, one scene in this movie that like, it's it's one of those things where it's almost kind of extra upsetting. Because um, if, this, if this scene were in a good movie, it would probably be one of my favorite scenes. But it's in a weird, it's in a it's in a not great movie, so I'm like, why couldn't the rest of the movie kind of been like this? But um, the t I guess it's like two. It's sort of two scenes. Um, one of which I think we talked about before, um, which was like the rain scene. Um, I think I had a bit of a a bit of a little bit of a problem, and like I feel like there are more creative ways to sort of 
um, how like blind people might perceive the world. Um, but I guess for what they did, it wasn't too bad. Um, but like the rain scene where like they kiss that we talked about, um, there's also a scene later on that I, I maybe you commented on it, but I don't think I commented on it at all. Um, this is really great scene where they're at like the funeral, um, for Electra's dad and it starts to rain. And so Daredevil can see her face and then she just pops up with her umbrella and she like disappears. Um, I really, I, I don't know, that's, that was just really, really cool to me. I don't think I picked up on that last time I watched it. In that, like, I, I, this could be a good movie. It just needs a, it's, it's rotten at the core, but it's got really, it's got a really nice, like, outside stuff. Yeah, I, I forget if we talked about the funeral, but yeah whenever they go to, like, the radar thing with the rain, it looks, like, really good, and that's where you're like, oh, I kind of wish they were doing more with this. Um, I am curious, it was announced, and it was announced, like, last week that Disney Plus is developing kind of a new Daredevil show, um, presumably with Charlie Cox, because Charlie Cox was in No Way Home, of course, um, for his very memorable scene where he catches, like, a brick or something that was thrown <laughs> through, like, a window. Yeah, it was a brick. Yeah. And goes, I'm a really good lawyer. But it's... Because Daredevil is a comic character. is somebody who... Um, there are a lot of their Daredevil runs. Many of them are great. I feel the last time we talked about this, I talked a lot about a what-if story, which was what if the world knew Daredevil was blind? Yeah, but... you, you did um, mention that last time. It's, I, I was thinking about that while I was watching this movie. Um, just what a, what a fun, fun premise. Yeah, because he's a character that... And this movie is largely based off the Frank Miller run. Frank Miller, who wrote... Batman Year One, which many Batman movies kind of take from, and also his big run of Daredevil, which is kind of brought in Elektra and the ninjas, and before the character had been kind of this swashbuckling, like, happy-go-lucky type, and this, like, this run sort of brought in this kind of more darkness and a bit more of the tortured aspect of it, though, because I said last time, like, there's an element of Catholic guilt that's kind of key to his character that's not really here. Um, but I'll say it would be What I would like to see this new run do is, because there is a Daredevil run that can't, it was, it was done like, I think almost 10 years ago at this point, but it basically followed this period where each Daredevil writer is like, how do we make his life worse? How do we make his life worse? until it went to Daredevil is, like, evil and brainwashed and kind of running ninjas in New York City in this thing called Shadowland. And eventually it was a guy who was like, hmm, what if we just made Daredevil fun again? And it was something where it's like, Daredevil's only back. He's got a new attitude. He's looking on the bright side. And there's kind of his darkness at the edge, but it's, like, really colorful and really fun. And you're like, I kind of want to see more Daredevil stories where it's like, he's having fun. He's fighting, like, mole people or doing actual lawyer stuff. Like, it's... You can tell a lot of really good, kind of serious Daredevil stories. Um, the current run of comics is telling this really interesting Daredevil story right now that has a lot of good stuff in it, but... I think what... Yeah, the whole point of this is, give me some fun Daredevil next time, you know? Just... You know, um, 
you know, I am I am all for her comics being like fun. I feel like this movie definitely suffers from um like trying to be Batman syndrome. And I think that's why I couldn't like latch onto a lot of the Daredevil stuff. Um like it just it's it's really telling when like the best parts of this movie are like are like the goofy bullseye stuff. And then also the Michael Clark Duncan stuff, but that's that's less because like that's that's mainly because of his like astonishing performance. Um like yeah. and also yeah. it's like objectively funny when like he punches him and then he just pulls off like whatever the thing to reveal, it's all muscle. Like it's Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like yeah, it's this movie Oh man. I'm I'm glad that Daredevil, I hear the Netflix show, like you said, um, is like good, and I'm glad that it sort of got, this wasn't its, I'm glad this wasn't its, um, movie slash TV tombstone, um, and then hopefully maybe we can get, you know, something in the future, whether in the MCU or otherwise. Yeah, and yeah, I'll, I'll say, just to document more on Colin Farrell, like, it is kind of a bolt of energy, and even though, obviously, this kingpin is different from the comics that he doesn't wear his goofy costume which um you know what bullseye's traditional outfit looks like ben just it's um, yes i do if it is is it like blue with like kind of white some white stripes with like a white dot in his head yeah it's like he looks like a target which yeah uh, is (laughs) maybe like you know you know it's silly i'd have liked to see him try it but Farrell works enough without it where like it's just him being like wild and even though and I definitely complained last time that they it's the Spider-Man problem of everyone wants to create the iconic scene recreate the iconic scene so for Spider-Man it's Green Goblin throwing his girlfriend off a bridge and Daredevil it's Bullseye stabbing Elektra um, which was the big kind of a big deal at the time so as much as that's still annoying like colin barrel's doing like a really good job and he gets to use his natural accent it's yeah we, yeah we're not talking as much about anti-hirishness as we did in our <laughs> kiss episode but yeah <laughs> it's a crazy performance <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah it's we you know to to speak neutrally about the irish um or praising them, honestly, depending on how which way you slice it. The villains definitely we've been getting a lot of <laughs> he's Irish, but he's also insane um, characters, uh, or maybe just two. Because all I'm thinking of is blown away. But I think we had someone else in there as well. Um, what was the other? Was it? It was blown away. But wasn't there another one? Possibly the same year as blown away. Um, was was the guy in Speed? Was he? I don't think he was Irish. I think he was just no. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember. I I feel it was just blown away. It might be yeah. thinking of. I might something else, but yeah. I think it was. It's one of those things where it's uh, two was enough for my brain to my brain to start a pattern. <laughs> yeah, you're like all all Irish or like. <laughs> Are really fun villains. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, I think we're gonna go down in ranks on our on the Irish podcast thing. Or go up. Oh no. <laughs> um uh, Yeah. Do we have anything else to say about Daredevil? Ah, uh, no. Yeah. Yeah, we're very, very sorry to our podcast listeners if this middle segment of all the movies we've covered before is a lot of like repeats. I really tried to like take notes about like I stuff feel I we know. hit new ground. Yeah. 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 And now, and now hit, we can hit the newest kind of ground, uh, the third Austin Powers movie we're covering. Yeah. <laughs> Gold member. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So here's how we have to make a decision. Because um, Mike Myers is nominated for being Dr. Evil, but also for Gold member. I I think the the system that I devised, and I think I it kind of justifies his his placement on my list, um, is that I just sort of took both of them, and then I I saw where the middle would be. I think that's kind of the only fair way to go about it, because um, they are tied together, you know. Um, yeah. I feel like it's only fair that I, I kind of take where my Doctor Evil is, and I take where my Gold Member is, and I try to find where would they where. What's what's the mean between these two? What's the average? Yeah, because Goldmember is um, missing for large chunks of this movie. But also, Dr. Evil is, uh, spoiler alert if you've never seen it, is not evil by the end of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's really tough. Man, um, to sort of get into it a little bit, I think, I think this is the one that I think is the funniest. Um, it had, we had, did take a little bit of a break and we've also like been jumping around the years. So it honestly has been a couple weeks since I watched Austin Powers 2. Um, but like this one, I think not only is it funnier, cause I think this one goes for more over the top stuff, but I think like even it's like quieter, more like, like less bombastic jokes are still like really, really funny. Like I like the bit. Where, where Austin Powers is like visiting Doctor Evil in prison, and then right before he leaves, he like he like runs after him, but he opens the door. Um, like I think that's really really good. Um, like I really like the um, oh what is it? I really like the 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 janitor that laughs at Austin Powers twice, like once in a flashback and once when he's getting knighted. I think it's just a it's just a silly looking old man. And I think it's just, it's just, there's no joke past that. And I think that's enough. Um, I guess, um, what did, I think you, you watch our movies a little bit of a head time. So it's been a little while, but what, what did you think of the third Austin Powers movie? Now that you've watched the whole trilogy. Yeah, it, it's been a bit. I had to like, look it up. I still have those thoughts. Um, I'll say just, I think of the three, it is the one I enjoyed the least. I still think it's good, but like, it is. I I think that just goes to our like differences in in like people where, for for you sometimes it's like it's all the silly gags and like that's enough. And for me, I'm like, oh, they've really kind of pulled away from any kind of structure, structure, which, you know, can be fine, but it is one where. You know, sometimes I miss when it was maybe a bit more focused as much as I think bits like the fact that every time he tries to draw attention to his dad and his dad is never there. Um, it's like really good. 
I think Michael Caine's really funny in it, um, as his, as his dad, and, but, yeah, even stuff like, like, you know, when Dr. Evil and Minimi are doing, like, the prison rap, it's funny, but you're like, okay, this is just because the just the two of us thing in the last film was, you know, everyone loved that, so it's like, let's do it again, but it's only tangentially related, um, I do think it was interesting that at least part of the film is Dr. Evil's in prison, and it's looking for a different stuff, but so sometimes I'm like, oh, like, as a film, I don't think it made a huge impression on me other than, oh yeah, this is pretty funny, but, you know, sometimes it's enough to be pretty funny, like, I think the whole fake movie thing with, like, Steven Spielberg and Tom Cruise, you don't need that in there, but it's also really funny that it's, like, Steven Spielberg making a in-universe Austin Powers movie. Yeah, I think, yeah, because I, I do think this one is the funniest for me, but I, yeah, sorry, to, to sort of finish that thought, though, is that I don't think it's my favorite, though, because um, I think you are, I think you're totally right in that this one I feel like loses, um, it has a little less soul than the other two, um, because, like, I don't think, I don't think this series has a scene that I like more, and I, I, I brought it up last time as well, when we talked about two, is that I just really like the scene where he's, like, catching up with all the current events, because he's just been so out of place, and, like, and, like, scenes with, like, um, that once, how oh, the guy's playing, like, the piano, and he's singing that really lovely song, um, like, stuff like that is completely devoid in this movie, in place of, like, really big, bombastic, like, the prison break song, and just all this, like, big, goofy stuff, which is, like, funny, but I think it leaves, it leaves with an experience that feels a bit hollow, a little bit, in that, like, I feel like this movie had potential to have, like, a really strong emotional core with, like, the stuff with, like, his father, but it's sort of, I feel like it sort of got away from that and was more just kind of off-the-wall silly. But yeah, so I totally agree with you on that front. Yeah, I'll say, I think the Seth Green stuff, like, his slow-burning arc, which finally ends with him, like, just going completely evil and, in theory, taking over as, like, the central villain is kind of, yeah, like, I think that stuff's good, um, but then also, even, like, looking at the Wikipedia article, when the last paragraph is like, oh yeah, you know, it's, the whole film was, that became Austin Pussy, and it's Steven Spielberg, and then upon exiting the cinema, Austin and Fox encounter Fat Bastard, who's thin but has tagging flesh because he did the Subway Diet, which, you know, just really, like, oh, hey, it's 2003, like, gonna do Jared Fogel jokes, and it's not, I mean, to be fair, they, they had no way of knowing. Um, it's like, it's yeah. not evil, because the Clarice will get his revenge, and then he dances like Michael Jackson. It's like, okay, do we think that's serving a purpose to the larger film? Like, it's... Yeah, and it's like, those bits are, like, fine. Um... Mini-me flirting with Britney Spears is funny. <laughs> yeah, those little, like, post-credit goofs. Um, yeah. But, like, yeah, it, it, you can definitely feel that, like, I, I'm really glad we didn't get, like, a fourth Austin Powers movie. I feel like, I feel like I conjured, I don't, if I said otherwise in my other two, um, episodes where we covered this, 
uh, it's because I've matured and I've seen the third one and I kind of, you can definitely plot like a trajectory that it was headed. And I feel like the, if we saw an Austin Powers 4, it would have gone too far and it would have lost a lot. Whereas I feel like this movie like gets really close, but is also just like funny enough to sustain it where I don't know if like another movie would be. Yeah, it's, I, th- I would almost be curious to see an Austin Power 4, like, now in 2022, um, though I have also not watched Mike Myers' most recent effort, this Netflix, like, show The Pentiverate, where all I've seen is a clip where one of his characters is saved by someone in a Shrek costume, so, who knows if Austin Power 4 would be any good, um, also yeah. Jay Roach, the director of this movie, another person who suddenly like after doing all these comedies is suddenly like all right here's bombshell which is a not great film about the women at fox news who set to expose the ceo for sexual harassment so yeah if you could even pull (laughs) off Austin power for yeah exactly oh man um yeah yeah um yeah yeah i'm trying to think sorry um yeah, the thing about Austin Powers movie is that, like, they do follow, like, they do have, like I said, they do have, like, a, a changing direct, uh, trajectory, but that trajectory from, like, far away almost looks kind of like a straight line, because these movies are, like, very similar, um, uh, in that they're just, like, they're just kind of these goofy things, and I think I still stand by, now after watching all three, I think I still stand by the statement that, like, I really like the Austin Powers movies. I think they're, like, really funny. But the Austin Powers character, I love so much more. Um, like, I think that still stands in that I really do love this character. And it's weird, because I feel like, I feel kind of the same way about, and we can, if, uh, if we want to segue into talking about the villains a little bit, um, I feel the similar way about Goldmember, in that, like, Man, like, he, he's, like, funny, but, like, he's not, he, he is not as funny as, like, my friend Ian turning me into the car, turning to me while we're driving and going, I love gold. Like, that's way funnier than his entire shtick in this movie, um, which I don't know what to, how to feel about that. Yeah, Goldmember, it's a funny voice. Um like his him doing his like Dutch accent and the concept is like that he has a, a gold penis after he lost his like genitalia in a smelting accident. He eats skin. That's like a funny bit. And then there's not much else to it. There's uh there's the idea that the plan in this one is a tractor beam called Preparation H. Um there's him painting the gold genitalia, and yeah, I think as you said, like, gold members one of those things that it's funnier to just do the impression than actually kind of watch it in action. Like, it's... Yeah, which, like, I feel like that's something that I, I feel very similarly about all these movies. Um, in that, like, and I think, I, I honestly, I like that. I think there's value in that. I'm very much a, when I watch, like, movies, I'm very much like a like, an experiential person rather than, like, a sort of post-analysis, like, intellectualized enjoyment of a lot of movies. Um, like, I very much, like, um, 
I'm very much along for the ride, and I, I, I will appreciate a movie that gave me a very good feeling, even if, like, when I drill down on it, it has, like, a lot of, like, flaws. Yeah, and now, this film does have some good bits, like, the mole thing is funny. <laughs> yeah, I, oh man, I forgot about that bit, and it's so iconic to this one, um, and it's just, it's, it's in it the perfect amount. And it's just so, like, uh, Mike Myers, like, delivery during those scenes, um, is just really, really good. It's just, it's such a, it's such a stupid, fun gag. Also, I'm always a sucker for the joke of, like, Dr. Evil's legitimate business, and the idea that now it's a Hollywood talent agency, and they, like, make a killing by taking a slightly smaller percentage of commission. It's, it's just really funny. It's like... And so ten percent, we take nine. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's really good. It's like through evil but legitimate business practices. Just... <laughs> yeah, it is. It is like a nice, like it's a nice progression from like the first and uh, second movie about yeah, like the kind of ongoing bit of um of like having of the number two just being like really successful and like knowing how to like make like a lot of money for their for their evil company. Yeah, um, and while we're on the topic, because, and this is the advantage of recording this episode uh, so so soon to when it's supposed to come out, but did you hear about what's happened to Seth Green and his, how one of his NFTs got stolen? Yeah, it's apparently like an NFT he had for like a show or something, and he no longer has the rights to it? Yeah, he, <laughs> yeah, he bought this NFT of like this yeah, this bored ape, like, I'm trying to remember the the, the number for it, but, like, Bored Ape Yacht Club 8398 was its name. He was going to call it Fred, and, yeah, he apparently was developing an entire series where he was, like, a bartender. He's like, I want to imagine a universe where it doesn't matter what you look like, what only matters is your attitude. Um, and then he... Clicking onto the raw a phishing website, he lost his NFT collection, but got resold, and now he has been tweeting at someone with the username of Darkwing ninety six to try and get the rights back. He's like, what? He's like, then days. He's like, I bought that April July twenty twenty one, and I spent the last several months developing and exploring the IP to make it into the star of the show. Then days before, his name is Fred, by the way. Days before he's set to make his world debut, he's literally kidnapped. Like, it's one of those things where I'm like, how is this a, like, how is this a real thing? <laughs> it's the most ridiculous thing in the world. So maybe the four Foston powers should be about NFTs. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Oh, man. Oh, man. Um. Oh. Yeah. I would. I mean, I wonder. We're gonna eventually reach um, that point because there's always there's always a moment where like the like the popular thing is popular, and then like we're gonna see like the wave of people that latched on way too late. Um, I feel like I feel like NFTs are have kind of already been there, but like we're gonna see like like the next Marvel movie is probably gonna drop a line about NFTs. Probably not. Probably not Thor, but like the next one that takes place like on Earth is gonna have something about it. Um, it's just 
It's very goofy. It's a very goofy part I mean, I of our history. I don't think Black Panther 2 is going to have an NFT. <laughs> well, the first Black Panther had what are those? You know? Like it's, That's... Okay, oh, yeah. maybe you're on But you know what? I d- actually, you know what? I didn't think about... Oh, man. I remember... I don't know if you knew this, um, but like around when, um, unfortunately, Chadwick Boseman passed, this was like really early on in like NFT's life, but they made like a golden NFT that sold for a couple million dollars, but it was like revealed that it was just like a couple dollar like 3D model of his head that they just sort of just like made gold in a program. So, yeah, maybe you are right. There would not be NFT's in Black Panther 2. <laughs> At least I hope not. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. NFTs. NFTs. I would like to think yeah. we're passing them. Oh, I know Dan Harmon has also been yeah. developing a show that involves NFTs to some degree. So yeah, it's one of those things. It's one of those rare instances where there's nothing intrinsically wrong about them, but one hundred percent of the examples are bad. It's truly unfortunate. Because um, I'm all for ways of art artists to like monetize stuff that like um that is like not like just like a t-shirt or like a commission or something um but it's it is it is like i I wish there was a name there probably is like a maybe a philosophical or high highfalutin name for like something that is like there's nothing technically wrong about this thing on paper but a hundred percent of the times that it's been in practice like it's just been awful and a scam and and horrible and they didn't pay the artists. Uh, like it's just been it's it's rough. Also, I mean the environmental consequences of at least some of the big like blockchain. Oh yeah, yeah. But I think there, I think there are even I think there are even green ones. But even the green ones, like there's always something else about them. Like they are just it was. I, I feel bad because I, I do I do follow some artists on Twitter that like really try to be like, hey guys, like mine is green, like I like I just want a way to monetize without printing shirts because shirts are just more junk in your house. Like I really just I want this to work, <laughs> and it's just it's really unfortunate that like it's just they they have an image problem that's never gonna be solved. Yeah. Um, so, anyway, so we have anything else to say about Austin Powers? <laughs> um, as much as I, I, I do think that's, like, a nice, we had a nice little talk about NFTs. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, man. The international man of NFTs. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to have, like, gotten to rewatch, uh, this, this amazing trilogy and then start off on another amazing trilogy. Um, yeah, I, I hope that if in the future we do get a new Austin Powers that they are able to create something that is, takes the best parts of each movie, you know? Like, take, like, the, um, take, like, the comedy from this one. Take the heart in the first one, and then uh, take Will Ferrell from the second one. Um, I'm trying to think what the best part of number two was. I I like the beginning from number two. I, I like the I like the just the how s- stupid it is and like the dance. Um, yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, so do we want to rank these movies? Yeah, let's rank these movies. Um, oh man, so ooh, um, this is a tough one because they're well, not for like the top couple, but like these these bottom three are pretty ish close. I think at the bottom, I think I'll I think I'll put Daredevil. There are things I enjoy, but is enough like stuff I don't like that it is really it really holds it back. Um, I think above that I'm going to put um, the ring. Um, I think we 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 went into it near the beginning. It's just it is something that I definitely I want to give the sequel and the original and also this one a rewatch at normal speed. Um, just to give it just to give it a fair shake, you know. Um, and then smack dab in the middle, uh, I think I'm going to have Austin Powers Gold Member, uh, just a solid, funny film. And then these top two, um, I think I'm going to have uh, Kings of New York with Spider-Man swinging above. Uh, just a mwah, lovely, lovely movie. Um, you know, uh, two very different movies about New York, but two very good movies about New York. Cool. Uh, yeah, so for me, uh, Daredevil, easy bottom, like, just, you know, I didn't rewatch it, but again, I, I want, I've rewatched most of these films, like, it, I think that speaks to, like, not enjoying Daredevil, where I'm like, yeah, I, I don't need to see this again, um, then above that, probably Goldmember, like, definitely stuff to enjoy, like, it's, yeah, you know. But it's kind of the weakest of the trilogy, but I'm glad I finally saw the Austin Power movies. Then above that is where it gets tricky. Um, I will say, yeah, I guess I will put Gangs in New York above the ring, but it's very close. Gangs in New York, like, the first time I watched it, I'm like, oh well, maybe on rewatch this will be five stars for me, and then... I watched it, and I'm like, nah, nah, 4.5 is still about right, but who knows, maybe third time will be the charm, um, though that will not be for this podcast. But then, for the top, yeah, Spider-Man, it, it's just, it's undeniable, like, it's, it's so fun, there's good action, romance, like, it's really everything you could watch in a movie, um, and somehow it's not even the best Spider-Man movie. So yeah, but how did the villains stack up? Um, yeah, for my villain rankings, um, it looked kind of similar. Um, but at the bottom, I think I would have Austin Powers. Um, yeah, definitely not uh, a great, definitely not their strongest outing. And then if it were just Doctor Evil, it might be higher. But I don't even know if that's true. And then definitely with Dr. Pepper and Dr. Dr. Powers, um, definitely with Dr. Evil and Goldmember sort of slamming them together, but definitely the mean would probably be near the bottom. Um, right above that, uh, I'm going to have The Ring. Um, very good performance, like given it's like a child actor. I just think that um, it's one of those things where I'm not given a lot to chew on. Um, and it's also very hard for me to disentangle the performance from how I felt about the movie itself. Um, 
Yeah. It's, 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 uh, it's hopefully would move up on later viewings. Um, and then smack dab in the middle, we have Daredevil. Um, but enjoyed it much more in this time around. I'm really glad that I gave this movie another watch. I think I found more to enjoy about it. One of those things being the villain. Um, and then for my top two, uh, the exact same as my movies with, uh, Willem Dafoe Spider-Man above Daniel Day-Lewis, but these two are like, really their top dog in it like this is really really good yeah uh yeah i think my rankings are gonna be similar ish like dr evil gold member at the bottom just you know it's i wanted to have something where i'm like yeah dr evil was the best villain this year but the competition was just always too stiff and i'm glad i watched these films but yeah not his strongest outing as villain. Um, then above that, well, probably Bullseye. Like it's Colin Farrell is good. I enjoy him in this, but it's just kind of one of those things where every other villain performance I think is a lot more compelling on some level. Um, as much as I enjoy his energy, and above that, yeah, I will put the Ring. Just uh, Davie Chase, not in a ton, but super creepy, super, like, super spooky, like, I'm not scared, but I get the atmosphere, and I think it really sets a, a mood, a mood, which is pretty impressive for, like, a 10 or 11 year old, um, and yeah, then I have to, like, agree with Ben with, for the top two, uh, Daniel Day-Lewis, just doing terrific work, but yeah, it's gotta be the foe here, like, Green Goblin, maybe not as iconic as the kiss, but pretty damn close. And just really giving everything you would want in a comic book villain performance. Um, will he fare so lucky when we co eventually cover Best Villain 2022? We'll see. But in 2003, he is soaring high on that glider, and it is not going to impale him in this metaphor. Um... <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah. yeah, so that brings us to the end of Best Villain 2003. It is time for Recommendation of the Week. What you got this week, Ben? So, my recommendation is not really one specific thing, um, but more of a thing I do when I want a uh, novel experience, like a noose or something that I don't get a lot of. Um, I will just think of like a random character and then look up like that character um, epic rap battle, um, and then go on YouTube and see what I can find. Don't go to, like, the official channel, like, ERB, the people that make them officially. Finding, like, an alternative one, you will see some of, like, the worst rapping ever, but it's very interesting. Um, and it can also be very charming, because a lot of it is just, like, just, like, kids, like, trying to make, like, a funny YouTube channel. And like making like little quips and little raps, and it's just, it's very like endearing. It's like videos that I would have made if I had a camera when I was a kid. Um, like it is, it is a pastime that I, I, I do it on like days where I'm sick and sort of bedridden. And just if you ever want to experience something, uh, quite novel, do that. Wow. So epic rap battle, but not the official one. So. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah, so for me, um, I am, hmm, 
I'm going to recommend um, American Vandal, which was a two-season Netflix show that aired a few years ago. Um, the creators have a new show that is coming out soon on Paramount Plus, I believe, about the world of esports, uh, which made me go, oh yeah, I should just watch American Vandal again. It is, it's really funny and really well done. Um, if you have never heard of it, it is essentially, it is a spoof of true crime documentaries. It kind of, it gets the language down perfectly, the style, but it is about essentially very low stakes, like vandalism pranks gone wrong. Like the premise of the first season is someone during like a faculty meeting day, someone drew 27 dicks on all the cars in the teacher parking lots. And one student is blamed for it, but through a bunch of, but despite the apparently strong case against him, these like two, two people making a documentary about it, see a flaw. A big thing revolves around the idea that while this guy's a known dick drawer, his dicks have ball hairs and the ones on the like cars do not. But they know that it wasn't just like a rush job because the ones on the cars have elaborate mushroom heads. Like it's it's that kind of again, it's silliness, but it's really well done. And the second season, which I've got to get to, is a similar thing. It's like someone at a private school doing like poop based pranks, but just really good, really smart about kind of both how it tackles teenager them and just kind of the ethics of any kind of true crime thing. So yeah, check that out. Um, but now we come to plugs. Also, if you're wondering why I'm talking like this, it's because it is late at night and yeah, and the other person in this house works pretty early tomorrow. So hopefully we'll wrap this up soon. But anyways, what do you got to plug this week, Ben? Uh, this week? Um, I am just speaking softly because I think it sounds nice. Um, I am probably the one that has to wake up the earliest to work in this house. Um, <laughs> uh, I will plug my Twitter. That is at GAKCAK, G-H-A-K-T-H-A-K. And in the, the bio of that is my link tree that has everything else. Um, I might look at the URL for my link tree to see if it's like, See if it's like easy enough to remember. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, that's the that's the that's the plug. What about you? What do you have to plug? Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at like a Wolverine. Um, I think my big thing there right now is my recent post with a bunch of Bob's Burgers episodes that I think are really good in advance of the movie that's coming out this week that I'm really excited for. Uh, maybe I should plug that more. Uh, no, I'm fine with my recommendation. Um, and then you can find me on Letterboxd, also at Like a Wolverine. I recently hit 2,000 movies with Godzilla 2000, so it was pretty fun. Um, and yeah, our our you can find the show on Twitter at Gold Popcorn Pod. Our seldomly updated Instagram, which I will eventually update, is past the golden popcorn. You can also email us at pastthegoldenpopcorn at gmail.com. Our theme song is by Matt Samard. Our art is by Ben. Um, thanks, Ben. We are hosted on Friendly Mush. If you like this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends. Uh, we're about to go on some what of a summer hiatus, maybe, so it's plenty of time to catch up on over 40 episodes. Um, and 
yeah, all that's left to do now is talk about what's coming up. So, for Best Villain 2004, um, that's a fun episode. We we recorded it, and we've recorded it already, and the nominees for that one are... Sorry, just going back. Okay. Andrew Briniarski in The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Demi Moore, Charlie Angels, Full Throttle. Jeffrey Rush, Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl. Kiefer Sutherland, Phone Booth. And the winner, Lucy Liu, Kill Bill, Volume 1. So yeah, that's a fun episode. Um, A really good twist, if you expect Ben to have known which Texas Chainsaw Massacre we were covering. Um, I mean, you watched the right movie, but just chronologically, you didn't. Yeah, it's... Yeah, no, it was, it was a really, really fun episode. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, and I just watched the second Pirates of the Caribbean for a future episode today, and it reminded me, I love these movies. There's a lot of fun talk. It's... I love a franchise that's just scene after scene of people double-crossing each other. Like, it's great. Um, yeah. Yeah. But, anyways, thanks for listening, and keep passing that golden popcorn, and, you know, just remember, um, when copy this episode and send it to your friends, <laughs> or nothing will happen, but, you know, just spread the spread the love around. Yeah. You know, you dig. Yeah. When um when when life closes on Austin Powers, it opens a Spider Man. And I believe I live by Bone that. Bone says <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> Bye everybody. <laughs> oh man. Uh. <laughs> Goodbye. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, I cut you off for that. I'm just...